Uh, I don't get it. Am I missing something here? I, I seriously don't get it. This is this is not even a rhetorical question. I'm being very literal here. Why exactly is it a bombshell? That's not my word. That is the words from the mainstream media and the leftists. Why exactly is it a bombshell that Fox News hosts and Don Jr. were texting Mark Meadows, that was Trump's chief of staff, obviously, were texting Mark Meadows on January 6th to tell President Trump to denounce the violence that was happening at the Capitol? How exactly is this a bombshell? I, I'm, I'm, ser- I'm sincerely curious how this is a bombshell. So the January 6th committee, which of course is Pelosi's little sham committee, um, it's supposed, she's calling it bipartisan, but it's not really bipartisan because Pelosi rejected McCarthy's appointments of which conservatives he would like to sit on that committee. And Pelosi picked herself who, which Republicans, Republicans in name only, rhinos, she would like to sit on the committee. So she picked Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. So this committee is a sham to begin with. Um, she reads the text messages of that were sent to Mark Meadows on January 6th out loud and pretends or portrays these text messages to be this smoking gun, this bombshell, this this just this indictment on President Trump and everyone who was in his orbit on January 6th. And this is these are the text messages that she read out loud. Take a listen to this. These text messages leave no doubt the White House knew exactly what was happening here at the Capitol. Members of Congress, the press, and others wrote to Mark Meadows as the attack was underway. One text Mr. Meadows received said, quote, we are under siege here at the Capitol. Another, quote, they have breached the Capitol. In a third, Mark, protesters are literally storming the Capitol, breaking windows on doors, rushing in. Is Trump going to say something? A fourth, there's an armed standoff at the House chamber door. And another from someone inside the Capitol. We are all helpless. Dozens of texts, including from Trump administration officials, urged immediate action by the president. Quote, POTUS has to come out firmly and tell the protesters to dissipate. Someone is going to get killed. In another, Mark, he needs to stop this now. A third, in all caps, tell them to go home. A fourth, and I quote, POTUS needs to calm this down. Indeed, according to the records, multiple Fox News hosts knew the president needed to act immediately. They texted Mr. Meadows, and he has turned over those texts. Quote, Mark, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He is destroying his legacy, Laura Ingram wrote. Please get him on TV, destroying everything you have accomplished Brian Kilmeade texted. Quote, can he make a statement? Ask people to leave the Capitol, Sean Hannity urged. As the violence continued, one of the president's sons texted Mr. Meadows, quote, he's got to condemn this ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough. 
Donald Trump Jr. texted. Okay. So then, like I said, the word bombshell is not my word. If you look at this headline from the Daily Beast on the screen here, or for those listening, I'll read it. This is what the Daily Beast said. A bombshell was dropped in Monday's January 6th committee hearing. It was revealed that Donald Trump Jr., along with Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram, begged White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to get Trump to make a national address and halt the Capitol riots. Again, their words, a bombshell. A bombshell. Why? Why? Why is this a bombshell? What about this is a bombshell? I'm looking for the reason that makes this a bombshell. Because to me, when I read this, when I hear these text messages and see in what context they were sent to President Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, it seems to me, doesn't this exonerate all of these conservatives who for the past almost year now have bore the brunt of false accusations that they either helped organize or refused to condemn or somehow incited the violence that happened at the Capitol on January 6th. So doesn't this exonerate these conservatives who face these false accusations that they encouraged what was going on? And then after these text messages were sent, showing that behind the scenes, they were wanting this to stop. Now, behind the scenes is particularly important here because you can always say one thing publicly and then another thing privately. Sometimes your private communications are more illustrative of what you actually think, especially when you're in the political realm. So privately, when these people weren't worried about their images, when they were just worried about what was going on, they said, stop the violence. We don't want this to happen. I condemn this violence. This is not good. These fringe people are making us look bad, making us, meaning all of Trump voters, the entire conservative movement look bad because that's what it was, of course. It was fringe elements who committed violence. It was not the majority of the people who were at President Trump's rally that day. It was not the majority of the people who had an issue with election integrity. It was not the majority of the people who voted for Trump. No, no, fringe elements were violent. And so these conservative personalities, television personalities and President Trump's own son said behind the scenes to Mark Meadows, you know, have the president do what he can to tell these people to stop. Let's condemn this. Let's get away from it. Otherwise, it's going to ruin the legacy of what President Trump was and undo everything good that he did. This, this to me, is actually reflects positively on these people. Again, why is this a bombshell in the eyes of the January 6th committee? Why is Liz Cheney presenting this like it's a smoking gun? And then didn't President Trump literally denounce the violence that did occur, tell people to go home, tell people that peaceful protesting is the only way because if you, if you look back on what exactly happened on this day, if you look at the timestamps of what happened on this day, President Trump spoke at this rally and at the way outside of the White House, and he did tell people to go to the Capitol. He did. That's true. But if you look at his exact words, it's funny because the mainstream media and the left always leave out um, the adjectives or leave out the adverbs that he used to describe what he meant when he said march to the Capitol. He said peacefully and powerfully march to the Capitol. He literally used the word peacefully. He in no way incited this riot. He in no way called for this violence. You can disagree with President Trump all you want on policy. You can disagree with how he handled the election integrity issues after the election. I don't, I don't care what your opinion on all of that is, but it is fact. It is inarguable that President Trump called on those people who were going to the Capitol to do so peacefully. And then as soon as there were photographs of the few people who were violent breaching the Senate on the floor of the Senate, President Trump tweeted out that peaceful protests are the way to go. He told people to act peacefully. Then several hours later when they weren't listening, he released a video in which he told the people who were committing violence to stop committing violence and to go home. Again, agree with him or disagree with him. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, a conservative or a liberal. I don't care if you're a never Trumper. 
Those are simply the facts and the facts are inarguable. So again, how is this, how are these text messages a bad revelation for these Fox News hosts, for Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram and Brian Kilmeade? How are these a bad revelation for Don Jr.? How are these text messages, how do these text messages reflect badly on Trump supporters on January 6th? Now, liberals are gonna say, well, this is why it makes them look very bad because these, these hosts pretended it wasn't an insurrection. So now we're getting into just parsing parsing rhetoric here because the definition of an insurrection is the attempt to overthrow a sitting government. Basically a coup attempt, you know, basically what happened, um, basically what was staged by the radical left during the Russia collusion hoax and the Ukraine impeachment and everything that the Democrats did to try to take President Trump out of office instead of simply running a candidate against him and defeating him. So we're going to parse language here and say, okay, well, these Fox News hosts, maybe they didn't call it an insurrection. I don't know. I don't, I haven't read the transcript of every single one of their show, but I do know conservatives from the beginning wanted to be careful to make sure that we were describing reality in a way that matched reality. And the vast majority of people that showed up in Washington, D.C. on January 6th were not, not violent. They were peaceful. They were exercising their First Amendment rights. They were protesting. It was a rally with the outgoing president. They were concerned about election integrity and they want to make their voice heard. There's nothing more American than that. And a few fringe people committed violence. And literally, I don't know any Republican, any conservative who has not denounced violence that happened. But the left doesn't want to talk about that. The left doesn't want to talk about the truth about what happened on January 6th. And so we're gonna do that. I'm Liz Wheeler, welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. So the January 6th committee headed up, of course, you know, under Nancy Pelosi. You never hear, by the way, about the Democrats on the January 6th committee. It's very funny. You only hear about these so-called Republicans. Uh, I say so-called Republicans because I don't think they support a single Republican policy at this point. We're talking about, of course, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. And you'll notice that the only clips covered by the mainstream media as it relates to the January 6th committee are from these Republicans because the Democrats are so desperate for this to be purportedly bipartisan, that they're willing to take these two individuals who obviously detest Trump at a higher level than they esteem truth and tell you, look, even Republicans, even Republicans think what Trump did was so awful. No, 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 no. This was, as I said before, this was Nancy Pelosi rejecting Kevin McCarthy's picks for which Republicans sit on this committee. She picked she handpicked, she cherry-picked the ones that she knew hated Trump with such fearsome loathing that they're blinded to reality, they're blinded to the truth. So now this committee is threatening to hold Mark Meadows in contempt because he, co he was cooperating with this committee and now he has stopped cooperating with this committee because he said that they are violating executive privilege, they're stepping beyond their bounds um, in Congress. He's actually filing a lawsuit because he said his communications with President Trump are privileged and that there is a need for trusted advisors of the president not to worry that those communications are going to be made public because that if that happens, 
if an advisor giving advice to the president fears that everything he says to the president isn't going to be kept confidential, but is go going to be publicized, then there's not going to be such forthright, such honest, and potentially such good advice given. So this is the argument in favor of the president's advisors having essentially executive privilege or the president being able to exercise executive privilege over the communications he has with his advisors. Now, maybe this needs to play out in the court so we have a clearer idea of what constitutes executive privilege and how Congress can uh, marry that idea with their oversight role, since they certainly have an oversight role that extends to the executive branch. But that's the situation that's going on um, between Mark Meadows and the January 6th committee right now. But here's the thing, here's the thing. The January 6th committee is obviously not interested in investigating the truth about what happened on January 6th. They're not interested in the reality of the thing. And we're gonna talk about what they are interested in in just a second, but first I wanna talk to you about Nutrafol. Now, we all know that half of the people who watch my show are balding men, and you know I love you all. But there's a holistic solution I wanna to talk to you about for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness without drugs or prescriptions. And I'm crunchy, so you know I love this sort of thing. It's called Nutrafol. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise. It's made from 21 potent natural ingredients that support sex drive, better sleep, and less stress too. That's why in a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six months. So you can grow thicker, healthier hair, and you can support our show, win-win, by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code Liz. If you enter the promo code Liz, you will get my special deal. You will save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere. It's only available to US customers for a limited time. Plus you get free shipping on every order. So get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. It's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com. And be sure to use my promo code, promo code Liz. That's Nutrafol, promo code Liz. It'll be great. You'll be happy you did this. Nutrafol.com, promo code Liz. Okay, so what are the Democrats and Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, but do I repeat myself here? What are they actually interested in here? What are they actually trying to do? This is the question that you and I and everybody who's seeing clips of the January 6th committee, hearing news reports, mainstream media headlines about the January 6th committee, this is what we should be asking ourselves because let's look at the actions. What are they actually doing? We can understand what their goal is if we look at what they're actually doing. So right now, they are reading the text messages of various organizers of the protests on January 6th. Now, remember, when I say protests, protests are constitutionally protected acts of both assembly and free speech. They're not violence. And most of the people at these protests, these peaceful protests, did not engage in violence. A very few fringe radicals engaged in violence. Two separate things. Violence is wrong. Peaceful protesting. You can't get more American than peaceful protesting. But the organizers of the peaceful protest, they had to procure, obviously, permits to hold their rallies in Washington, D.C. Um, on the day that the Electoral College vote is supposed to be certified. I mean, you always have to get a permit to hold a big rally. So the January 6th committee has subpoenaed these text messages, but not from the actual individuals, not the phones of the organizers themselves, not the communications from the people who were involved in procure procuring these licenses, perhaps talking to the Trump administration, people in the Trump orbit. I mean, President Trump spoke at this rally. Obviously, there was communication between them. No, no. The January 6th committee has gotten the text messages of the organizers of these rallies from Verizon. They've actually bypassed the organizers themselves and gone to the wireless company to get 
the text messages and the timestamps and the data, the information on who these people were communicating with. Now, if this sounds really shady, that's because that is really shady. If you need access to somebody's text messages and you're doing this on, you're doing this with legitimate power, with authority, then you should have subpoena power to go directly to the individuals, not to bypass the individuals and go to a company, a company who supposedly, supposedly is protective of your private information. I mean, this is a, this is an incredible breach of privacy, an incredible violation, I would argue, of your fir- of the First Amendment. I mean, this is scary stuff to think that the government can just pressure a private company, a big company that relies on being in the government's good graces, essentially, and that they'll turn over your private information directly to the government. Now, that's the first thing, and that's really creepy. I think we can all agree that. Here's what's creepier. None of the people whose text messages were procured from Verizon by the January 6th committee These are not people who have been accused of any crime. These are just people who applied for permits for the rallies and protests and events that happened on January 6th. So you might've been thinking, this is what I was thinking originally. You might've been thinking, well, I'm sure in the Verizon contract, if there's probable cause that you violated a law, then Verizon has carved out a caveat for themselves to give over your information to law enforcement. No, no. These people were not accused of a crime. These were just the organizers of the rally. The FBI, remember, has said that there was no central planning for the attacks that happened at the Capitol that day. So we should ask, you and I should ask, the American people should ask the January 6th committee, why are you going back to April of 2020? April of 2020 and reading these people's text messages when they haven't even been accused of a crime anyway. This is what the January 6th committee is doing. This is their behavior. This is their activity. So once we understand their activity and their behavior, it then illustrates for us what their goal is. Their goal is not to unpack why there was such poor security at the Capitol that day that these people were able to breach the Capitol. I mean, that's the scandal. That's one of the big scandals that day. How were these people able to actually get into the Senate the way that they are? The way that they did, I should say. What happened to the Capitol Police? No, no, the January 6th committee is more interested in reading text messages from April of 2020 of people who are not accused of a crime in order to make a political point because the January 6th committee is a sham committee. They are based only on their fear and their hatred of Trump. And when I say their fear of Trump, I'm talking about elections. We're gonna talk about that in a second, but what we're seeing unfold in the January 6th committee, it's just a repeat of the Russia collusion allegations and the phony Ukraine impeachment. We're seeing it all over again. It's a fishing expedition. These Democrats and Cheney and Kinzinger fear that President Trump will run for re-election in 2020. They want to ensure that he is unable to run in 2024, I should say. They wanna make sure that he's unable to run. So they're conflating intentionally, because they're not stupid, they're conflating the peaceful protests and the rallies with the crimes that a few fringe radicals committed at the Capitol. And they're doing that intentionally. They're conflating Trump voters with criminals. And they're doing it on purpose. Again, this is another Russia collusion. This is another Ukraine impeachment. This time, instead of Schiff, we have Liz Cheney up there. But the reality of what happened on January 6th 
is not being talked about. So like I said, we're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you about Paint Your Life. PaintYourLife.com is just as cool as it sounds. I was so enamored with this idea when I first heard about it, and I still am. You literally get to turn your favorite memories into art that lasts forever. So with PaintYourLife.com, what you do is you take one of the photos that you love the most, you submit it of your most emotional life moment. Maybe it's your child, maybe it's your grandchild, maybe it's a sporting event, a wedding, an anniversary, a family reunion, who knows? And an artist turns it into a painting. It is such a meaningful gift. And when I first heard about this, I figured, well, it must be expensive. Not so. It is not expensive at all. And when you submit your photo, you get to approve the draft of it once you have approved the draft to make sure that you like it, then they ship it to you in as little as two weeks. As I said, it's an incredibly meaningful gift. I love it. Um, you can receive your portrait so quickly. Just send any photo of yourself, your children, your family to paint your life. There's no risk, by the way. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. Right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, you have to text the word Liz to 64,000. That's L-I-Z to 64,000. Liz to 64,000. Paintyourlife.com. Celebrate the moments that matter most. It's really cool. So we've been lied to about January 6th since the beginning. Yes, there was violence, and the violence ought to be condemned. That's true. The violence was committed by a few fringe radicals, and those who committed the violence have and should be charged for that violence. Do you know anybody who feels otherwise? Do you know any conservative, any Republican who is justifying the fringe radicals who committed the violence? Because I don't. I don't know anybody. But what I do know, what I do know is that the mainstream media and the left have been propagating a false narrative about January 6th as a diversion tactic. They don't want to talk about election integrity. They don't want to talk about the very real problems and concerns that a lot of people had about what happened um, in November of 2020. And so they're using what happened on January 6th as a diversion and as a way to demonize Trump voters and conservatives and any common sense person who has issues or who has concerns about election integrity. They want to paint everybody as being crazy. But let's talk about some of the lies that we have been told about January 6th, because you'll notice that every time somebody on the mainstream media or one of the Democrats talks about January 6th, they'll talk about the loss of life that happened. They'll talk about the deaths that President Trump, they'll say, could have avoided had he not incited this insurrection, their favorite word, insurrection, because it's such a scary word. It's such a word that, you know, foments fear. It's such a word that paints anybody involved in the Washington, D.C. protests or rallies as a crazy. The five people that lost their lives that day, they'll say, didn't have to if President Trump had not used words that were essentially violence. We're gonna talk about President Trump's words in a second. But the five people that lost their lives, it's a tragedy that each and every person died. It always is a tragedy when innocent people lose their lives. But the five people who lost their lives on January 6th are Ashley Babbitt. She, of course, died um, after she was shot by a Capitol Hill police officer. The left certainly doesn't wanna talk about her. Then we have Kevin Greeson. He was 55 years old. He died of natural causes. He had, he had heart disease. Benjamin Phillips also died from heart disease. He was 50 years old on January 6th. Uh, Roseanne Boyland died from a drug overdose. She was 34 years old. We have Officer Brian Sicknick, who we were told, by the way, by the mainstream media, that he was beaten to death by one of uh, the people who breached the Capitol. We, we were told he was bludgeoned to death by a fire extinguisher. This turned out just to be the wildest fakest of the fake news. He actually died of natural causes. He had a seizure, or he had a stroke, I should say, a stroke disorder. Um, he collapsed hours after, uh, or he died hours after he collapsed the next day. Um, so let's not pretend that the rioters, even those 
who broke into the Capitol, even those who committed crimes that day, they didn't kill anybody. Again, those are simply the facts, the inarguable reality of what happened that day. Now, you might be contrasting in your mind, you might be thinking, well, goodness, the left, when they claim to care about people's lives, they didn't say anything about the Black Lives Matter riots. They didn't say anything about the arson and the billions of dollars of property destruction, people's livelihoods, the dozens of people who lost their lives, the black man who was shot, but he was a police officer, a former police officer, and this was during the Black Lives Matter riots, so of course that was covered up, that was brushed under the rug. You know, the, the, the hypocrisy of these people is unreal. The hypocrisy is unreal. So we've established what happened on January 6th. We've established how the left's January 6th committee, what their behavior is, how they're committing what appears to be gross violations of people's people's privacy. And all of this, by the way, was based on, why why did this happen on January 6th? Well, it happened on January 6th because that's, that's when Congress was going to certify the electoral college votes. That's when they were sent to call it to Congress by the states when the vice president is supposed to open the envelopes and basically read the results here. And the Democrats are portraying this challenge to the certification of the electoral college as being a threat to our democracy. President Trump clearly wanted um, the certification to be challenged. He, He wanted, he was advocating for, pushing quite strongly actually. Advocating might be a tame word to describe President Trump's emotions behind this. Wanted Vice President Pence to step in and try to stop the certification of the electoral votes. And again, the Democrats paint this as a threat to our democracy, an attack on our system. But let's remember, January 6th of 2017, let's just travel back four years. January 6th of 2017, what happened? Well, that's the day that the Electoral College certified that President Trump had defeated Hillary Clinton. That happened in Congress. But let me read you just a snippet of this article from NBC News. It was published, as I said, on January 6th of 2017. Congress made the election of Donald Trump official on Friday, certifying the votes of the Electoral College in a formal joint session of Congress. Uh, Now listen to this. Some Democratic House members attempted to object to some states' electoral college votes to protest the election results. But their objections went nowhere because they were unable to gain the support of a senator per the rules. Huh. So what the Democrats have tried to label as a threat to our democracy, an attack on our democracy, the idea that some conservatives, some Republicans, even the president, wanted an objection to the certification of the electoral college votes on January 6th of 2021, That exact same thing happened four years prior, except it was the Democrats who were challenging the certification and nobody on the left, nobody from the mainstream media, none of these folks shrieking about the fall of our democracy said a word when the Democrats did exactly the same thing. Now, that's what happened inside the Congress on January 6th of 2017. Let's step outside for a second. Washington, D.C., the middle of winter. What's happening there? post-election, after President Trump has defeated Hillary Clinton, but before the certification of the Electoral College, certainly before, a few weeks before the inauguration, what's happening? Well, there are black-clad thugs, Antifa thugs, trolling Washington, D.C. There's violence, there's threats. 30% of Democratic Congress members refused to attend President Trump's inauguration because they considered the election to be illegitimate. James Clapper, You remember James Clapper, an Obama intelligence official? 
James Clapper personally briefed the Electoral College on President Trump's, his opinion, by the way, his opinion of President Trump's mental fitness for the job. And then, of course, Clapper briefed the Electoral College on allegations of Trump-Russia collusion. The fake allegations cooked up by the Hillary Clinton campaign intended to take down President Trump, to stop the certification of the Electoral College, and to get him impeached and kicked out of office because she was bitter that she lost. That's what happened on January 6th of 2017. Now, January 5th, one day prior to the certification of President Trump's uh, first term in office, one day prior at the White House, President Obama met in the Oval Office with multiple intelligence officials. These are the James Comey meetings. These are um, the Biden meetings. January 5th, Oval Office meeting, they discussed the incoming National Security Advisor to President-elect Donald Trump. The incoming National Security Advisor was, of course, General Michael Flynn. They talked about General Michael Flynn and his discussions with uh, the Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak, which were entirely appropriate. We've now seen readouts from those calls. It was entirely appropriate for the incoming administration to discuss issues with a foreign country that we have a relationship with. There was nothing inappropriate that was done. In fact, Flynn didn't even push back on some of the Obama policies. He's just said, well, wait until we're in office and then we'll talk about this again. Just hold off retaliating on some of the things that Obama had done until President Trump is in office. So now, now we see that the Democrats have not only acted about the certification of electoral college votes in the exact same way that Republicans acted this year, that there was violence fomented by Antifa thugs, these militant, black-clad, violent, this violent group on behalf of the Democrats in Washington, D.C. at that time, but that the day before President Trump was certified by the Electoral College as the official winner of the 2016 election, President Obama was plotting with Biden how to take him out, how to spread this false narrative, these fake news allegations this accusation of treason that was patently untrue and they knew it at the time. This is how the Obama administration, including Vice President Joe Biden at the time, was behaving. So again, we can, we can jump back to what's happening now. Mark Meadows is threatening or is being threatened by the January 6th committee. They say they'll hold him in contempt of Congress for not fully cooperating because they want him to violate executive privilege. He says the only person who has the power to waive that executive privilege is President Trump, since it was his executive privilege, that Congress doesn't have that power and he doesn't have that power. As I said, maybe that'll have to play out in the courts. But these text messages from Fox News personalities and from Don Jr. to Mark Meadows, I don't understand why they're a bombshell. I truly don't. They pushed President Trump to make a statement. He did. You can criticize the statement if you want. You can say, well, if I were president, I would have done X, Y, Z. Well, yeah, it's, a, it's easy for us to sit here and say, if I were president, I would have done X, Y, Z. I would have done stuff a little bit differently than Trump too. I would have made statements differently than Trump did on that day too. But you can't sit there and say that President Trump didn't make a statement. You can't sit there and say he incited this quote unquote insurrection because he told people to go and breach the Capitol when he didn't. He said to go and protest peacefully and powerfully. You can't say that he allowed this to happen when he repeatedly 
said that we have to be a nation of law and order. He said to, a, he, he stood up for the Capitol Police in a tweet. He told people to stop the violence. He told them to go home and then he released a video saying the same thing. So quibble all you want with other comments that he made, but you cannot say, unless you're a liar, that President Trump said nothing. And so again, I, I, I don't understand why this is a bombshell. I don't think it is a bombshell. But I, I want to go back to the organizers of the January 6th rallies, the peaceful protests for a moment. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you about stamps.com. If you're looking for ways to skip the trip to the post office and dodge all that hectic holiday shopping traffic, why not save time and money with stamps.com? Stamps.com lets you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS services all year long. Here at Soundfront, we use stamps.com when we are on the road. And we use it to save time and money because it just makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during the holidays. Whether you are selling online or running an office or a side hustle, stamps.com can save you so much time, money, and stress during the holidays. And you get discounts on post office and UPS shipping services without making the trip. Discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS. Honestly, Going to the post office instead of using stamps.com is kind of like taking the stairs instead of the elevator. So if you spend more than a few minutes a week dealing with mail and shipping, stamps.com is a lifesaver. Save time and money this holiday season with stamps.com. Sign up with promo code Liz for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code Liz. Okay, so Rolling Stone is not exactly your conservative news organization. They don't exactly have traditional Republican values that they espouse from their platform. But even Rolling Stone, who did a profile of the organizers of the main event on January 6th, and when I say the main event, I mean the peaceful protests where President Trump spoke. The organizers of that event, even according to Rolling Stone, had nothing in their documents or their communications, which they have both given to Congress, the January 6th committee, and they showed to Rolling Stone, nothing in their documents or communication showed any evidence uh, that they had been coordinating with those who were going to commit the violence. Basically, no coordination about the violence whatsoever. In fact, this rally that President Trump spoke at was a culmination of a bus tour that happened as a result of people's concerns about election integrity. There's no argument there. There's simply no argument that a lot of people in our country are very concerned about the integrity of our elections after what the left did last summer. They're electioneering, they're changing of election laws. Um, the policies that they passed, whether that's universal mail-in ballots, whether that's ballot harvesting, whether it was the round-the-clock drop boxes, whether it's you know degrading of signature verification on voter registration or on absentee ballots, a whole host of policies were changed by the Democrats in the lead-up to the 2020 election that reduced the integrity of our elections. And a lot of people were very concerned about that. So the culmination of this bus tour was this event that Trump spoke at. And the, the organizers of this rally told Rolling Stone that they expected President Trump to provide proof of voter fraud um, that would lead to the Electoral College not being certified that day. That was their plan. That was their expectation. Nowhere in their plan did they plan for or organize or coordinate with any person who was going to attempt to or who planned to be violent. So the Democrats can't focus on what we're talking about today. The January 6th committee must ignore the reality. Liz Cheney is compelled, essentially, by her motivation 
to prevent President Trump from running again in 2024, to present these text messages as if they are bombshell, as if they are a smoking gun. And the Democrats, the reason the Democrats and Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are so afraid of President Trump running again is because President Trump was very effective in his strategies or very effective in his agenda, his conservative agenda while he was president. The only thing that I think, the only major thing that President Trump did not do well was how he handled COVID-19, putting Fauci in place, elevating him to that position of power, not realizing that Fauci was a fraud, et cetera, et cetera. Other than that, President Trump pretty much said what he would do on the campaign trail, and then he did it when he went to Washington, D.C. The Democrats are scared of President Trump in 2024 because their alternative sucks. Joe Biden, what is he gonna be like 300 years old by the time the next election comes around? I cannot imagine a world in which Joe Biden runs for re-election in 2024 at his advanced age with his obvious mental problems and wins. Now, could I be wrong? Sure, but I cannot imagine that. So we already see these rumblings, and we've talked about this on previous shows. We've already seen the rumblings of who's going to be the heir apparent to the Democratic Party. Who's going to be Biden's successor in the Democratic Party. Now, a lot of Democrats assume that would be Kamala Harris because she was the vice president. She's young, she's radical. You know, she's the most liberal senator. She was the most liberal senator in the United States Senate. She was given different responsibilities by the Biden administration and she's muffed every single one of them up. She thought it was going to be a just campaign trail continued in Washington, D.C. Her staff is quitting because of a toxic environment. Um, she was supposed to be the border czar. She was asked, Jen Psaki, press secretary, was asked by Fox News' Peter Ducey whether Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris, was still in charge of the border. Jen Psaki said yes. Look at what's happening at our border. There's the abuse of children who are used in human trafficking rings so that migrants or cartels and coyotes disguised as migrants can gain access to our country and be released because Biden has a catch and release policy where if you have a child with you, you get released into the United States with a court date that of course you don't show up for because you're not on the up and up and that's not what you came for. You didn't come here to go through our legal system and to do it right. You came here to try to slip across our border, violating our laws and you're okay with using a child to do it. That's So Kamala Harris is in charge of this. Kamala Harris is in charge of rolling back all of the Trump policies that actually stopped the crisis at the border. And Jen Psaki says Kamala Harris is still in charge of this. So what is Kamala actually doing as we're seeing drug cartels taking over our borders, as we are seeing these migrant caravans coming to our borders, as we are seeing the abuse of women, the rape of women and children? Well, Kamala Harris is uh, set to announce almost half a billion dollars of your tax money and my tax money as a quote unquote investment in these third world nations, which she thinks will solve the border crisis. And here's what I will have to say. Nothing infuriates me more than when our tax money, that's money that you and I have earned, it's our money, is being given to foreign countries when the American people are hurting. The Biden-Kamala administration have been supportive of policies that shut down people's businesses, ruined their livelihoods, caused restaurants to close permanently. I can't even tell you how many people are unemployed and struggling, and yet instead of returning our money to us, the Biden administration is giving it to foreign nations. So that's the first thing that's infuriating. The second thing is, it doesn't matter how much money you quote unquote invest in third world nations. These people, anybody who's actually on the up and up, any migrant who actually does come to the United States just because they want to seek a better life, which I don't blame them for, I would want to too. 
no amount of investment is going to turn a third world nation into the United States. So the comparison between where they live now and where we live, our country, our nation, the United States, it's still going to be a comparison where those migrants are going to want to come to the United States because it doesn't matter how much you invest in a third world nation and half a billion dollars is certainly not gonna significantly change the corruption and the gangs and the cartels and the abject poverty that's happening in those nations. No, that's not going to happen until the governments of those nations fundamentally change and they have a free market system that respects people's individual rights and people are able to pursue prosperity themselves and they're protected by a government from, you know, whether it's crime or whether it's gangs or whether it's cartels or whether it's anything, any threat to their individual liberties. That's the only thing that's gonna change their desire to come here to the United States. But anyway, Kamala Harris obviously is not the heir apparent to the Democratic Party anymore for that reason and many others. So we've seen articles recently about, well, maybe Buttigieg, maybe Secretary Pete, as he calls himself now, maybe he's the heir apparent to the Democratic Party. But Secretary Pete has very, very radical leftist policies. His father was a Marxist. He's never disavowed the Marxist ideology of his father. In fact, most of his most of his political positions on issues are in line with Marxist ideology. So while he's never vocally admitted that he's a Marxist, if you if you line up, you know, three policies in a row, you know, one plus one plus one equals three, he's never disavowed the Marxism and his policies really add up to looking like a Marxist ideology. He's gonna be a pretty hard sell to the American people in addition to the fact that he's a fraud, he's just a politician. I mean, he pretended to ride his bike to work, but really he brought his bike in a government vehicle and then hopped on the bike for the last 100, 200 yards to make it look like he was being environmentally friendly or something stupid like that. The American people do not want frauds in, in office of either party. This is actually something the American people in general are very much of the same mind. We don't like corruption. We don't like slimy politicians. So this is why the January 6th committee is so scared. This is why the January 6th committee has to make sure that President Trump does not, is not allowed to run for office again because who's he gonna run against? They have nothing. They have Bernie Sanders, who's you know older, older than the Hills. They have Joe Biden, who's mentally unfit. They have Kamala Harris, who um, is probably laughing inappropriately at something ridiculous right now. They have Buttigieg, who's basically a man child. They have nothing. There's even been talk amongst Democrats that maybe Hillary Clinton would run again. I kid you not, I kid you not. After Hillary Clinton released that video, you guys probably saw that video, where she's teaching a master class. Yes, a master class taught by Hillary Clinton. They haven't released a topic, but uh, I think we all know that maybe it's how to suicide Jeffrey Epstein or how to be a sore loser when you legitimately lose an election because you suck and don't visit certain Midwestern states that are required whose people's votes you need to win. I don't know what the topic of her masterclass is gonna be, but they've actually floated the idea that maybe Hillary Clinton would, want, would run against President Trump again in 2024. This is how desperate the Democratic Party is. So is it any wonder then that Cheney actually said this, actually said this during the proceedings on the committee. She said, quote, did Donald Trump through action or inaction corruptly seek to obstruct or impede Congress's proceedings? So. She said that intentionally because that is the text of a federal statute. She is trying to set up a situation where President Trump is criminally convicted. He becomes a felon, therefore unable to run for president again so that it would be illegal for him to even try because the Democrats are so desperate because they have nothing to offer. 
This is what we're seeing, ladies and gentlemen. This is the January 6th committee. They are a fraud, they are a sham, they are dishonest, and they are motivated by hatred and fear of President Trump because their Democratic Party is such a woeful, horrible, horrific failure that each and every voter in the United States, no matter if you're Republican or Democrat, can feel. We can feel the failure of the Biden administration. So the Democrats resort to their same old tactic. This is just Russia collusion, Ukraine impeachment all over again. It's awful. It's awful to see. Now for locals VIPs, I wanna let you know that you have exclusive early access to a fantastic interview. I enjoyed this interview so much. This is a woman, a fellow mom, who is always in the news as a mom influencer. You can barely ever find her, or you can barely ever Google her name where there hasn't been something written about her. I'm of course talking about Bethany Mandel, the challenger of children's COVID restrictions, um, the homeschooling aficionado. She's always texting me, by the way, and other conservative women to have more children because she wants us to, uh, she wants us to, outpopulate the left here. She is now taking on the children's book industry, which is part of the left strategy to indoctrinate the next generation of kids. They've obviously taken over the public schools, they're trying to take over the medical field, and they're also trying to take over the library, the children's book industry, where children learn. They're infiltrating it with poisonous ideology. And I talked to Bethany Mandel about what she's doing to fight against it. It's pretty interesting. And there's also um, a great special treat for locals, Liz Wheeler Show community, locals, VIPs. Um, so head on over to lizwheelershow.com slash locals to see that interview. And if you're not if you're not already a locals VIP, if you're not already part of our club, now is the time to do so because between now and Christmas, we have a special deal, the cheapest it will ever be to become a VIP on the Liz Wheeler Show community, $56 for an annual VIP membership. It's great. We'd love to have you. In addition to early access to interviews like this, we do question and answer. We do hot takes. We do all kinds of extended segments for locals, VIPs. It's a good time. LizWheelerShow.com slash locals to see that interview and sign up for VIP membership. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is the Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.